Make your way, if you will, to Luke chapter 6. In your Bibles, Luke chapter 6. It is possible for someone to speak and not be heard. I live with little people who make large noises all the time. And so a common exchange between their mother and me is, what did you say? I couldn't hear you. It's possible for someone to speak and not be heard. It is also possible to hear someone speak without listening to them, isn't it? This is what happens when a stewardess stands at the head of the aisle and gives pre-flight instructions on how to apply the oxygen mask in the event there is a loss of cabin pressure. You hear the voice, but you don't listen. I'm not really sure why you should listen. Can you imagine missing that little speech and you're in middle flight and all of a sudden you can't breathe? And then 300 oxygen masks come exploding out of the ceiling all at once, and one's dangling there in front of your face, and you're saying, man, I should have listened to that stewardess. I, I think you're going to kind of know what to do about that time. It'll, it'll pretty much come naturally. So there's, there's messages like that that we just simply tune out because they aren't necessary to hear. or They don't matter to us. It's possible to hear audibly, but we're really not listening. And it is also possible to listen and not respond. We can hear a message and listen intently to it, but do nothing with it. Now sometimes this is wise, like when you pick up the telephone, it's a telemarketer, they give you the pitch and you decide not to act on the offer. You've listened, you've heard, you've listened, you've understood, and you don't act on what you've heard. Now, that might not be a good use of your time, but that's another point. Sometimes that's good. But there are other times when to listen and fail to act is very unwise. Sometimes it is sin, and sometimes it leads to spiritual destruction. I speak to you this morning... in all earnestness. Because I believe that heaven and hell are at stake for you and for me. There may be some of you here today who cannot hear God. I'm not saying audibly that you hear this actual voice come, but If truth were told, you honestly cannot connect to his truth right now. You might hear spiritual realities and spiritual truths, and obviously you can decipher them and understand them as far as it goes, but really you can't hear God. You don't get it. It's not sinking in at all. I would say to you, if you're in that condition here today, you need to be born again. You need God to breathe spiritual life into your dead soul so that you can hear Him. There may be others here today who hear God's voice, but you're really not listening. 
His words flow through your soul like water through a pipe. Nothing sticks, nothing changes. Are you tired, honestly, of hearing God's word? You've really heard all that you need to hear. Maybe there's a reason, one reason or another, that you come and you hear, you're sitting here today, but you really don't want to hear. You hear it, but you don't listen. Are you tuning out God's message? For you too, I pray. And I worry. You need to shake yourself from your spiritual lethargy and start listening to God. But as concerned as we should be for people in both of these conditions, those that cannot even hear him because they're spiritually dead, those that hear but are really not listening, they have God tuned out, as as concerned as we should be for those in those two conditions, we're turning our attention today to a third category, namely to those who listen attentively to God's word but do not respond. We address those who hear what God is saying, who listen attentively to his truth and even rejoice in it, but who do not act upon it. Is that you? Is that me? We've heard some tough stuff in these past few weeks. And I know God's at work in our church. I know it because of the reports that have been directed to me personally in these last couple of weeks. God's working. Some of you have been very alive to these messages, which are not, and I'm never confused with the fact that they may somehow be nicely written or perfectly said. God is taking his truth and he's getting through. We're hearing. But we've heard some tough stuff, haven't we? It's been convicting. It has been to me, and I know it's been to a number of you. Let's think again on verses 27 and 28. Jesus has said in this Sermon on the Mount, Luke chapter 6, verse 27, But I tell you, hear me, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. That's a tough word. Verse 31, Jesus said, Do to others as you would have them do to you. Verse 37, he says, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. In verse 41, he says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? In verse 45, at the end of that verse, he says, For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. We've heard Jesus speak in these last few weeks as we've studied this sermon on the level, this sermon on the plain, We've heard Jesus speak and we have listened attentively to what he is saying. And Jesus now brings his sermon to an end with a concluding word that is just as strong as everything that he said to this point. He says in verse 46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Let's remember again the audience. 
Who is Jesus addressing? Back to verse 17 of this chapter, Luke 6 and verse 17. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Speaking to these individuals, and I'd like us to think about that for a moment. Many of these people had come from a long ways to hear Jesus speak. It had taken days for them to walk to this place. These aren't people just passing along on the radio or listening here or there to something and catching a, fra- a few phrases from his sermon and passing on. These are people who said, we're going to go hear Jesus preach. And they made a very long journey to get in front of this rabbi and to listen to him speak for what would apparently be a fairly lengthy period of time. These are not passive listeners. These are people who are hanging on every word. They listened with intensity and with resolve. But Jesus alerted these same people to a grave danger. You can listen intently to what I say and never do it. They called Jesus, Lord, Lord. This double use is an emphatic way of saying that they believe that Jesus is the Lord and they don't apologize for it. They understood that he was their master, the one to whom all allegiance was owed. But for some, their devotion to Christ's teaching did not translate into action, betraying the hypocrisy of their confession, Lord, Lord. Now let me stop for just a moment and address something that's really not the focus of the message here today and perhaps of Jesus' words here as he ends this message. But we talked about those who do not hear Jesus. And let me say, you need to understand that Jesus is the Lord. Jesus doesn't stop here and say, now wait, you've got it all wrong, I'm not the Lord. I'm just a rabbi, I'm just a good man, I'm just a good teacher. He said, you call me Lord, Lord. The problem was not with what they called him, the problem was with what they did. And you need to understand that you cannot study Jesus among other gods. That's not the Jesus of Scripture. You can't study him among the other gods. The Jesus of the Bible created the universe. He rose from the dead. He reigns today. He is coming back again to rule this earth. He is alive If you want to follow Jesus as a wise teacher, you want to compare his teachings among other prophets of the past or religious leaders in the past, you are pursuing a Jesus who's a figment of your own imagination. He's not one teacher among others. He is the master. He's God. And there is no other. Back to the point here, however, Jesus says, you people that are before me are calling me Lord, Lord. To listen to Jesus and not to act upon what he has said is actually to deny the Lordship of Christ, is his point. You call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say. In other words, if I am truly Lord, then you will do what I say. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? 
Now let's think of that in context. Jesus is not just speaking off the top of his head momentarily. This is connected directly to all that he said in this sermon. This is the conclusion. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, verse 27, and you do not love your enemies and do good to them? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not bless and pray for those who curse and mistreat you? Verse 28. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and fail to do unto others as you would have them do to you? Verse 31. Why do you call me Lord, and judge, and condemn, and fail to forgive others? Verse 37. Why do you call me Lord, and fail to give freely? Verse 38. Why do you call me Lord, and nitpick about the little sins of others while failing to deal with your own failures? Verse 41. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and the words that flow from your heart are not words of goodness and love? Verse 45. James put it this way, the brother of the Lord, who probably heard these ideas often. He said in 122 of his epistle, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Be doers of the word. In Matthew 7, 21, Jesus said it this way, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. What a tragedy it would be for any of us who attentively listen to God's Word preached week after week and who read our Bibles with some consistency to end up in hell. It's possible. Because following Jesus Christ is not simply a matter of external connection. It's a matter of submitting to Him as Master and Lord and living as if He's Master and Lord. Are you listening to Jesus? Are you putting into practice what he says? Say with me in your own heart and mind, God help us. God help us to do it. To do what Jesus says. Well, Jesus illustrates all of this as it applies to his disciples beginning at verse 47 and in a sense in this first verse clarifies what he's saying. Verse 47, I will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. We have here first of all a listener who acts. The listener who acts upon what he has heard. I will tell you what he is like. The emphasis here is not on this house that he's going to talk about. The emphasis is not on the way in which the house is built. Jesus is pointing us to consider the man who obeys Christ's teaching. That's the point. So, verse 47, I will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. Who here comes to me, speaks of this one as a disciple, who hears my words. This is a present tense in the original language, meaning that he is often hearing and consistently hearing what Jesus said, and we also have the same tense with puts them into practice. This is one who's hearing consistently my words and is consistently putting them into practice. I want to give you a picture of what that looks like, says Jesus, verse 48. He is like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. 
that makes sense to everybody that he's, that's listening to his voice. That's maybe not quite as clear to us, but Palestine, you don't have to dig all that far down usually to find some strata of, of solid rock below the surface. So they would dig down occasionally below that surface and they would begin, almost all of the houses were built out of rocks and they would begin to pile those rock blocks on top of that foundation stone below the surface. And then trouble comes. Verse 48, the middle of the verse, when a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. The flood or the torrent, again we need to think of the context here. Hard seasonal rains in Palestine often sent floodwaters coursing through the rugged terrain. This runoff water can quickly swell and fill a dry creek bed or even a narrow valley and all of a sudden before you know it, here comes a rushing, you're, you're, you're standing in front of a river as it's coming at you. And that's sort of the picture here, that as this rain comes, there, there, unexpectedly there is this river and this force of water that crashes into the side of the house, but it's not going anywhere. The rocks are large enough, but most importantly, they are based on that foundation rock below, and the house stands. It withstands the torrent because it is well built, or the King James founded upon the rock, a textual variant there. Possibly in the King James reflecting Matthew's account, it's the same point. It doesn't move. It stands. Now in contrast to this picture, that's one who hears my words and puts them into practice. Here is the contrast, verse 49, to the list, with the listener who fails to act. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. He doesn't dig down to that layer of rock below the surface, but just builds right on top of the earth. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. So this one, again, builds on the ground. This man fails to dig down to that layer. And what's the worry? He builds, obviously, not in the middle of a river. He builds during the dry season and everything seems to be just fine. But after completing his house, it rains. Well, there he is with his house sitting there. Everything looks good and solid and fine. But at a higher elevation, the, the rainwaters begin to collect and they begin to find their way down into this riverbed or something of the like, this low valley, and they become rush and they come to rush down upon the house and all of a sudden slam into it. Well, the problem is not the rocks of the house. The problem is that the house is on the ground, and as that water continues to carve away at the dirt on which the house is built, it begins to compromise the stones and they begin to crumble and fall as the foundation shifts all around the house. And the result is disastrous. The destruction, says Jesus, is complete, or the Greek word mega. It's great destruction. A total loss. That's not the person who can't hear Jesus. That's no better, but that's not who he's talking about. This is not the person who can't hear Jesus. This is the person who listens attentively and doesn't put it into practice, who doesn't act upon the truth of Christ as if Jesus was, in fact, Lord. 
This is the picture of that one's life. Now let's analyze this illustration for a few moments. We have some similarities between the listener who acts and the listener who fails to act. What is true of both of them in their confession? They both say, Jesus is Lord. Both attentively, attentively listen to his teaching with conviction. Matter of fact, they love his teaching. As it were, we might put it in our context, both are baptized regular attenders of churches who do not hesitate to identify with Jesus Christ. Both listeners build a similar house. Jesus makes no distinction between the house that is built. He does not say, well, the one house was bigger and stronger. The, the one house used bigger blocks. He doesn't say that at all. They're identical houses. What is different is not the house. Externally, the life they both lead, the life that they build, looks the same. Identical confessions, similar building projects. But there is, of course, a radical difference between these two individuals. And what is the thing that exposes the difference? It's the flood. I don't think we want to go to seed here on what the flood is specifically. The point is there's a catastrophe. The point is there's a day of reckoning. We can just leave it generally at that. It may take some time to distinguish between these two. It may take until judgment day, but the torrential flood betrays the difference. It means very little that you sit in this place and identify with the truth of Scripture. I mean, that's way better than not being here and identifying with the truth of Scripture, obviously, but it doesn't make a lot of difference that you're here identifying with the truth of Scripture in the end. The issue is what is going to happen when you're persecuted. What is going to happen when a friend betrays you or abandons you? What is going to happen when disease strikes and vaporizes your dreams? What is going to happen when you lose your parents or your sibling or your mate to death? What is going to happen when you stand before the holy judge of all the earth? The flood exposes the difference. On dry, sunny days, everybody's house can look good. It's what happens when the rains come and the foundation is tested. Where are you then? Where are you on that day? Obviously, there are distinctions that are brought up by this problem, by this flood. Distinctions between the listener who acts and the listener who merely hears and does not put it into practice. By not only listening to Jesus, but by actively believing and willing and obeying what he says, one man builds a life that cannot be shaken. When the storms of life descend upon him, he stands before the throne of God on that last day and he stands firm. Why? Because his house is so special? No, because Jesus' words serve as an impenetrable, unmovable, rock-solid foundation on which this believer's life is permanently grounded. So be it here or be it in eternity, the, sound, the foundation is solid. That foundation is Christ, but let's keep it all in line here. 
that foundation is really in this analogy, us doing what Jesus says. That's the foundation on which our life must be based, and that's the foundation that will hold true. And that's the foundation that when the flood comes, will hold us together. I've shared before in other contexts the story of Polycarp, 155 A.D., serving as elder of the church at Smyrna. One day some local pagans were celebrating a festival, and as is true of many false religions, as they got excited about their worship, they looked for somebody to hurt. Hopefully as Christians get excited in worship, they look for someone to love. But the pagans often look for somebody to hurt. Somebody who wasn't participating in the way of Rome. And they knew one in town that hated Polycarp, who followed Jesus. They arrested him. Citizens arrest. And they hauled him before a police chief, if we could call him that, by the name of Herod. And if it was in the newspaper, it'd say, no relation. But imagine that name. His name's Herod. And he brings him, brings, they bring Polycarp before, Polycarp before him, and this man is a corrupt police official. And he calls upon Polycarp to call Caesar Lord and to burn incense to the emperor like all of us pagans are doing in this festival. No big deal. Burn a little incense, say Caesar's Lord, tell God you know, he knows you didn't mean it, and live another day. Well, Polycarp said either Jesus is Lord or he's not. And if Jesus is Lord, Caesar's not. And I won't do it. They hauled him into the arena where he received a final appeal to swear by the fortune of Caesar. I quote from an account written by believers who recorded his words to the best of their recollection. They said this in in a report to another church. When the proconsul insisted and said, quote, Take the oath and I will set you free. Revile Christ. Polycarp replied, For 86 years I have been serving him. And he has done no wrong to me. How then dare I blaspheme my king who has saved me? If you flatter yourself that I shall swear by the fortune of Caesar as you suggest, and if you pretend not to know me, let me frankly tell you, I am a Christian. If you wish to learn the teaching of Christianity, fix a day and let me explain it to you. But let me tell you that the fire which you threaten is one that burns for a little while. And after a short time goes out. You evidently do not know the fire of the judgment to come and the eternal punishment which awaits the wicked. But why do you delay? Go ahead and do what you want. And they did. Eighty-six years old. Let me tell you, that's dying well. 
that's somebody who's standing on a firm foundation. Grounded to the rock. Flood came for Polycarp, and he laughed at it. By contrast, the listener who does not act is self-deceived. He willingly hears Jesus' words. In fact, he may have traveled by foot across half of Palestine to get in front of Jesus. But the words go into his understanding and they die there. And the result is a life that is shaky and in imminent danger of collapse. The words of Jesus here serve as both a stern warning and a hopeful promise. They are stern warning to those who listen to Jesus and call him Lord while failing to act on what they hear. But this is a message of great hope for those who orient their lives to acting on what Jesus taught. So here's the grave danger. To listen, but to act in accordance with our own wits. Now everybody operates according to some wisdom and some purpose of life. We all do. But we can sit there and listen to what Jesus says week in and week out, and we can take in biblical content all the time and really, honestly, just live by our own wits. Just live by what seems to be right for me. We go with what feels right at the moment. We listen to the latest cultural gurus and Christian philosophers who build huge houses on sand. We put together a smattering of pop psychology of cultural leanings of family history of personal preferences and we build on that. All the while listening attentively to what Jesus says and letting it die inside of us. All I can do is ask you and ask my own heart, do you personally actively build your life in harmony with the truth of God's word? You've got to hear me. You've got to hear what Jesus says here. Because if you don't, when that torrent comes, it's going to knock you over. Do you orient your life to the Word of God? What a tragedy to hear it week in and week out and then find in the end that your life crumbles into nothing. Don't call Jesus Lord and fail to do what He says. Act on what you're hearing. Are you hearing? Are you able to hear? Are you listening? Are you obeying? Well, as we bring to close this powerful message from Christ over these several weeks, it just drains me of any self-effort and any self-congratulation. It tells us that we're empty. that we need Him, that we can't obey Him in our own strength, 
And here's where the glory comes. Naked before Christ, with nothing in our hands to bring, in our abject spiritual poverty. He looks upon us with welcoming arms and says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. If he's not brought you to the end of yourself through his teaching, if he's not humbled you to see that you cannot obey in your own strength, if he's not made it clear to you that you need supernatural power, you haven't heard what he's saying yet. But by his grace and in his love and in his patience and goodness toward us, he takes those who have nothing to bring and nothing to give. And he says, come to me. You who are burdened, you who labor, and I will give you rest. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for you will be filled. Let's in our prayers go to Christ. Let's come before the throne of God. Let's humble ourselves there and come to this one for blessing. Let's pray. Father, we need the word of Jesus. We need your word of life. And we sense, dear God, that we fall infinitely short in our own strength and power. But I thank you for the saving work of Jesus Christ that takes fallen sinners who are lifeless and cannot hear your truth. And you, like you called Lazarus from the tomb, call us to life. And we hear the voice we hear your word, it makes sense, it comes to us and it saves us and redeems us. And we thank you for this dynamic work of spiritual transformation. Lord, if there's any among us today who are seeking, and who do not know Christ in this supernatural sense, have not been saved and transformed and redeemed, I pray that you would bring such a one to saving Christ, to saving faith today in Jesus Christ. I pray, God, that you will work in any person among us who is not rightly related to you. God, for those of us who say, Lord, Lord, and hear attentively what you have to say, God, give us strength to do it. Point us in the way. Help your people right now to be focused upon what needs to change and what they need to do. What they need to stop doing because your word says to and what they need to start doing because your word says to. And I pray that your word, combined with the indwelling spirit of God, would illumine our hearts to see who we really are and to honor your word and your truth among us. I pray that you'll do your work, that we'd be humble and patient and kind to one another as you do this work of sanctifying grace. And I pray that we would be ruthless as we look at our own hearts. 
and allow you to search them and to test them, to seek out what is right and what is not. I pray that you'll do this work among us, Lord, as we have concentrated on this teaching of Jesus. And I pray that it would, in fact, sanctify and change us as a church, not simply be words that we hear, not simply be understanding that we gain, but that it would, in fact, transform the way that we live, that we would be the kind of people who love their enemies, who forgive and give and do not judge and do not condemn that we would be the kind of people who do unto others as we would have them do unto us, that we would get off of our navel-gazing focus and sense what others desire and what is good for them, and that we'd give it freely. Teach us. Lord, may we be the kind of people from our hearts, that, that from our hearts would flow words of grace and truth and beauty. Transform us by your grace. To your glory we pray in Christ's name. Amen.